Good evening. So what I think we should do tonight, this weekend, is to show I Like Adoption one more time, and then you can just bring your wallets up here and put them on the deal, <laughs> and we'll all go to Children and Family Services on Monday and hire, and hire a kid. Get a kid. No. Wow. Mark, Pastor Mark and I know the fellow who put that, those ideas together. That, that's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, who would do that? Well, they would do that. And the, the model of what it means to give your heart away it comes in all different images and all different shapes. My thoughts this weekend I'm calling the face of generosity. Ruth and I have been married a little over 50 years now, and I remember when we were first married, they were all excited, and we are going to get the first apartment and all. And we used to go to get burgers and fries and shakes, and we obviously have had a number of those, but I, I, uh, I would go, and it would go something like this. I'd say, what would you like? We said, I'll take a cheeseburger, a small fry, and, and I said, and I'll take a burger and a fry and a, and a shake. And I said, would you like a milkshake? She said, no, I'll, I'll just have some of yours. <laughs> and I'd say, no, 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 that, that wasn't my question. <laughs> I, I'm, I would very much like to get you your own shake, but I want all of mine. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm just going to have a couple of sips. And I said, no, no, I want those sips. You don't want those sips. She, I said, why do you do that? She said, well, it just it tastes better. See, now, guys don't get that. I got to tell you, ladies, the guys don't get that, at and they're not buying that. I just, but they're willing to buy you your own. What is that in us? Well, I'll come back to that. First point tonight is that generosity is the heart of God. You want to know what God's like? Think generous. You want to know who he is? Think of the most giving person you can think of and take that to the nth power. Whatever else you want to say about God, this God, the God of this book, the God of your heart, is that he's a generous, he is the most generous person in the universe. In, in Genesis' second chapter, and several of the things I'm going to say this weekend, you've heard me say before, but I'm, I'm saying them again. In sales, you have to say it 17 times on average before somebody buys. So this is two or five or something along the way. And in Genesis, it says that God created man and woman and he created this garden. And then he says this. Some of you are business people here, businessmen and women, and you know about venture capital and somebody putting up the money so you can start a business. Here's a model. Why don't we create this whole deal, and you can cultivate it, and you can have all of the, all of the uh, results, all of the fruit you can have. And the only thing you can't have is one tree out of the whole garden. Who, what business person in his or her right mind puts up the capital and says, you take all the profit except for like one hundredth of one percent, and you give me that, and... And then the story goes on that Adam and Eve didn't like that. What kind of a model is that? Well, it's the God model. The God model is I have this huge, generous heart. 
Listen, listen to how the idea of giving and generosity is embedded in his heart and hopefully in ours. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, or flip over on your phone or your iPad or whatever, find that. And I'm reading from NIV 1984. It's old school. Not as old school as King James, but it's old school. So in, in Matthew 22, 15 through 22 is this fascinating passage. Uh, Jesus is such an original thinker. He is so disturbing that he freaks out people who are lawyers and people who are trying to control not just their worlds, they're trying to, trying to control your world. And, and so they're always trying to trap him. Listen to what it says in Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees, that's a conservative religious group, went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. These are a political group. So you get one of those political religious coalitions going. Those are deadly, okay? <laughs> Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. So they're kissing up here, okay? They're teeing it up. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you, know, you pay no attention to who they are. By that, they're saying you don't play favorites. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So this is what philosophers call the horns of a dilemma. If he says yes, then the holy people say, clearly he's not godly. If he says no, then it's high treason. This is what he does. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. This is not baby Jesus, meek and mild. This is the in-your-face Jesus. <laughs> you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him... A denarius, a penny. Now, this is a quarter, okay? We're allowing for inflation. Here we go. <laughs> he says, show me a denarius. They brought him a denarius, and he asked, whose portrait is on this, is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. And I hear that, and I'm amazed, because I have no idea what that means. What? Show a guy a penny, say, whose picture, whose name, and they say that he's, oh, it's overwhelming, and they walk away. What's that about? I think it went something like this. The, the, the word that is used here in the original language is icon. It's the, it's the word from which we get icon. That guy's iconic, like Bono is an icon in the rock world. Okay? It's the same word, equivalent to the Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1 when it says, let us make man in our image. I think it went something like this. Whose image is on this? Caesar's. Whose name? Caesar's. And maybe Jesus went, fine. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the only thing he can put his image on. <laughs> it's like a penny. But give to God what is God's. You bear his image. 
He wants you. He wants your heart. If he has your heart, he has your pennies. That's on the backstroke. That's nothing. What he wants is you with your talents and your dreams and your ideas and your future and your now. This generous God made us in his image. And like God, when, when, when theologians talk about the character of God and being in the image, they talk about the creative God and the intellectual God and the, and the, uh, the God with moral thought and the, the originator and the God with capacity. But what if one of those qualities was, how about the generous God? If you're made in God's image, then the capacity to be generous and give your life away in whatever form is embedded. It's in our DNA. Point number two. Usually I'm a one-point guy. It's four points tonight, but it's all this. Okay. Generosity is, now, is not about what I have. It's about how I think. It's not about what I have. It's about what, how I think. Listen, there, there are lots of stories about generosity. I, I particularly like the story of the kid. You know the one where he brings his lunch? You've heard me say this before if you've been around. Where, where the kid, they have 5,000 people and they find this kid with a lunch because they don't have any food and they're way out and, and, and he brings it to Jesus and Jesus multiplies this this bread and fish and feeds 5,000 people with the kid's brown bag. I mean, can you imagine when that kid's a grandpa and his grandchildren crawl up on his lap and say, Grandpa, tell us that story one more time about when Jesus of Nazareth took your lunch and fed all those people. Is that a true story? Because that's like the craziest thing we've ever heard, but could we hear it again and don't change any words? Say it, isn't that right? When you're a kid, you want all the words just the same. That's how it is. I have a friend who wrote a musical, and he had that kid in the musical, and this kid came out and sang this song. He's like 10 years old. If you'd have been there when he borrowed my lunch, you'd have believed him too. That idea is captured in the passage in Luke 21. This is toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Again, the heat's being turned up on him. And in verse tw- or chapter 21 of Luke, in the first chapter, it says, as he looked up, he's in the temple, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Lots of widows in Jerusalem, lots of widows in the Middle East because you marry a young girl to an old dude and he dies and then you got widows and that's how it is. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. It's actually less than a penny. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I love the illustrations that are used in Scripture. Here's a widow hardly getting by, who puts in a huge proportion of what she has to live on. You know, for her, it might have, I don't know what it would have been. Maybe it's 30% or 40% of all she had to, I don't know. And she puts it in, and 2,000 years later, in a place called Washington, D.C., that she could never imagine, here we are, and she's being lauded as the metaphor, as the model for what God looks for. Here is this no-name person who is being lifted up and saying, 
Look at that. It's not hard to give out of wealth because I can give and I won't feel it over here. But what about when I give out of what I don't have, essentially, or what cuts into the budget or cuts into my life? We used to take college students from the University of Illinois when we lived there in the late 60s and through much of the 70s. We used to take them to Mexico, 40, 50 at a time, on an old diesel bus called the Purple Goose. It was, it was one of the, like this old thing. It had four cylinders, and it was diesel. It'd go great on the flat, but on hills, it'd go, uh, like that. And it had a solenoid, so you push the button and back up, and that didn't work, so all the guys would have to get out and push it backwards. It was cool. And, <laughs> but, but we'd go to these poor areas in some of the Mexican villages, and they didn't have anything, but they'd invite us into the, their house, and they'd fix us tacos or put some bread on. And it, it was like the last they had. And we had all kinds of money, relatively speaking, but they were being generous out of their poverty to us. And it's, it, it isn't just a guilt thing. It's a, it's a model. It's, it's saying, what does a generous spirit really look like? I have a brother-in-law that I can't trust. I, um, you know, I'd go and see him or he'd come and see us and he'd say, could I, could I borrow your car? I just need to rent it. And so he'd go to the store and he'd fill the car up with gas. One time he went and put tires on it. One time he went out before you had built-in dishwashers and he went to Sears and got a dishwasher that was portable, it was on wheels and you plug it into, the, some of you old enough to remember, and you plug it into the faucet. And, and I'd say, John, his name's Blakely. I said, Blakely, what are you doing? What, what, you know, this is crazy. He said, oh, I just like that. Years later, I was president of this small college, and I drove a Honda Accord, and uh, I came out one day, and I got in the car, and I had new floor mats on the car, and I turned to Ruth, I said, Ruth, did you get floor mats? She said, no, I didn't. I didn't get it. I thought you got it. I said, no, I didn't get it. I said, your brother got it. I went back in the house. I called him in Modesto, California. I said, Blakely, did you get me new floor mats for my Honda Accord? He laughed. He said, yeah. I said, when? He said, three months ago. <laughs> I'm not very observant, but I'm appreciative. And I said, Blakely, why do you do that? Why do you do that? He said, <clears throat> Dick, I can't think of anything more fun than giving. What, what would happen if we saw giving not as an obligation, not as a law, not even as a biblical principle? What if we saw it just as a kick in the head, just as a hoot, just as fun? Ruth and I had our lives changed by $100 in 1964. I was a graduate student at Wheaton College in Illinois, and I was working on a thesis, on a missions thesis, for which there was not much secondary material. By that, I mean books that were written. So I had to do interviews with people, and there's a conference held three times every third year, used to be held at the University of Illinois Fieldhouse, the Assembly Hall, hosted by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it was a recruitment thing for state university students for missions. And so they had all these organizations down there, and my advisor, Dr. Lois LeVar, a single lady in her mid-60s, a sparrow of a woman, stood about this tall, PhD from NYU, very bright, most, the best teacher I ever had at any level. And she said, are you going to go to Urbana, Dick, at Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's? I said, I, I can't, Dr. Lois. I, it's, it's $50 for the whole week. 
And, and Ruth only makes $50 a week. And again, this is 1964. And I wouldn't go without her anyway. And she just stood up. I was at her house working on a curriculum deal. And she got up and walked in the back room and came back and took my hand and opened it up and put five brand new $20 bills in my hand and said, you take Ruth and you go to Urbana. That $100 changed the trajectory of our entire lives, of our entire lives. I graduated with a master's degree, came back a year and a half later, went to that town where the University of Illinois is, did a church plant, stayed there a dozen years. That $100 changed everything. When we are generous, when we catch people off guard with our giving, I, years later, I was telling that story to some other grads of, of Wheaton Grad School, and I said, and, you know, I got to tell you, I'm sorry, but Dr. Lois gave us, and this guy looked at me and said, really? She gave me 100 bucks too. <laughs> I see, I thought I was the only one that she gave 100 But the fact is that she was seeding the kingdom of God with generosity in a timely way. See, when, it, when a fellow's a miser, it's because he's thinking wrong. It's not because he didn't have money. It's because he's thinking wrong. His brain's fouled up when he's a miser. He thinks that what he has is his. That's the problem. <laughs> he doesn't know he's a trustee. He doesn't know that he could go away like that. But when you think of yourself as a trustee of whatever it is, my energies, my talents, my brain power, my buck, whatever it is, it changes how I do life. Point three, gener generosity, there's no law against it, and there's no limit to it. There's no law against it, and there's no limit to it. I mean, think about this law. Somebody said, wow, Harry got... 20 years to life. For what? I, he was too generous. <laughs> Gave away his house. Can't be doing that. That's what the law says. You say, that just sounds dumb. It does sound dumb. There's no law against being generous. There's no law that says you have to be generous. But there's no limit to it, even when there's very little or no money. What about being generous with our time? Everybody's got the same amount of time. What about being generous with our ears and listening when someone needs to talk? What about being generous with our ideas or our encouragement or our affirmation or our presence? When we focus too narrowly on dollars when we talk about giving, we miss the point. It's not about what you have as much as it is about how you think. There's no law against it. There's no limit to it. So don't, don't define it just in terms of what it looks like on a balance sheet in a bank, but look at it in terms of my whole person. Number four, it's the opposite of my nature. It's counterintuitive. When I was preparing these thoughts, I said, Ruth, what do I need to tell these folks? Because a lot of times, Ruth sounds like the Holy Spirit. I'd just like to bring that up. <laughs> and she said, tell them that it's the opposite of our natural self. I have to tell you, and you know, you know this, but I have to tell you this. I'm a selfish dude. 
I mean, I don't like you really know that, especially if it's going around the world. But, but the point is this. <clears throat> I tend to want, <clears throat> excuse me, I tend to want what I want in the way I want it when I want it. Relationships die of selfishness. You say, oh, that, that, <clears throat> that marriage died of adultery. No, no. That died of selfishness. My natural bent is to go for what I like, where I like it, when I like it, how I like it. That's how it is. And generosity presses back against that. Generosity fires relationship. It fuels relationships. When a couple are together and, the, and their competition is not how, how can I get the best zinger in at the dinner table, but when the competition is how can I outgive her? How can I do more for her? How can I ask this question intelligently over and over again? How can I love you in the way you need to be loved? Talk to me about that. If you ask that question in a relationship, how can I be your friend? How can I serve you the best? How can I help you the most? Because in any relationship, we absolutely get more out than we put in. That couple with all those kids with what are called deformities, if you will, that others didn't want or were abusing, that, those parents... Maybe I missed it, but they didn't look sad to me. As a matter of fact, they looked enthusiastic. They, they looked like they were totally enjoying life. You say, it's work. Well, all of life is work. That's not the point. The point is, what gives you reward down the road as well as now, and what gives them reward? I mean, he, here are a couple who virtually gave kids life. They didn't birth them. They just gave them life. I, you know, stingy even sounds like a bad word. Maybe we should just make it a cuss word. <laughs> you know, no woman in her right mind. Okay, I'll just talk to you ladies. And guys, you listen to this. No woman in her right mind gets up in the morning saying, I'd love to marry I would love to marry a good-looking, strapping, smart, stingy guy. <laughs> Are you with me here? You say, do you have a verse for that? No, no. I've just got 70 years of experience talking to couples. And when people get selfish and when they get small and when they get stingy, the whole world dies. Generous people are like the most attractive magnetic people in the world. I love being around generous people. You say, well, of course, you might get some of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, that'd be okay, but, that, but that's not what I'm saying. When you're around people who give their lives away, it's like a virus. It's contagious. You say, well, this, this must be the way to do life. It is the way to do life. People who are generous are welcomers. My experience with people who are generous is that they are leaders. Here's Jesus, the most generous person in the book, who says, 
to people. Need some food? Here, have a little fish, a little bread. Need a whole body? Let me, let me fix that arm. Just stretch it out. Take some of my, of my peace in your life. Want to get rid of your shame and your guilt and your junk? Give it to me. Take some of my peace and my grace and my joy and my power. Give me your crummy past and let me give you a glorious future. I'd just like to suggest this to you. I'm not asking you to buy this, but I'm just going to toss it out there. I believe the Jesus in you is generous. I'd like to encourage you to let him out. Wouldn't it be great to have an epitaph? You know, you go, every, every once in a while I go through cemeteries and graveyards when I'm walking or jogging, and I'll stop and look at some of the, you know, and it said, loving dad and so forth. What if it said, she was a giver? What if it said, his generosity changed our world? What kind of an epitaph would that be? So, Caesar can only put his face and his inscription on a penny. But God put his face and inscription on you. And he is the generous God. And that's embedded deep in you. And the enemy of your souls doesn't want to let it out. But by the spirit of Jesus in your lives, that pot's being stirred. And whatever you give away, there's more where that comes from. It's like Jesus is saying, you want some of this? Come get some of this. What this is, is this. You start giving away your life. And when you give away your life, you give away his. That's how that works. I love this story. I don't know where I heard it. I'll consider it public domain. There was a kid in the hood standing in front of a grocery store or a drug store. And the guy pulls up in like the fanciest car. I don't, you know, let's say some kind of Beamer or Mercedes or something. And he gets out and he clicks it and it locks everything. And the kid's standing there by the drugstore. And he's just drooling over the guy's car. And the guy sees it and the kid says, nice car, man. He said, well, thank you very much. He said, uh, where, um, where, where'd you get that car? He said, well, you're probably not going to believe this, but somebody gave it to me. He said, get out. He said, yeah, somebody gave it to you. He said, who, who did that? And he said, my brother gave it to me. And the kid looked at the man, looked at the car, looked back at the man and said, oh, wow, mister. That's the kind of brother I'd like to be. Here is the God who comes along and says, why don't you be that kind of brother? Why don't you be that kind of sister? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? I don't know where you are in your journey tonight, but there is a God, the God, who says to you in this moment, you'd like to give away your life you're stirred to give away your life, but you don't think you have one. <laughs> and I'd like to give you one. I'd like to take all of your stuff and swap it out for what I can give you. And in this moment, without looking at me or even raising a hand, I'm just going to pray 
is I'd suggest you pray in your own heart. You may have never done anything like this before, and that's cool. That's good. And here's the prayer. You pray it in your own heart as I pray it if you would like this Jesus to give you a life to give away. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have made me a human being. I receive your life tonight through Jesus. Take away my sin, all of the junk of my past. I pray that you would make me a new person. Take my history, give me a future. Thank you for whatever that means as I begin this journey with you. In your name we pray that. And for the rest of us here tonight, I pray this. Lord, lift our sights by your word and by your spirit to help us really understand what we've heard a lot that we can never outgive you. Thank you for the privilege of being generous people. Let, us, let there be a trail of generosity coming out of our lives this week, whether it's in money or a word or a smile or a hug or time spent or time listening or a word of encouragement or affirmation. Help us to be profuse in our generosity so that your name and your kingdom might be real where we work, where we go to school, where we have coffee, because that's who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,